Every time we walk into sin or walk away from God, it always starts with drifting away from community with other solid followers of Jesus. And so, in other words, we need community to thrive. We need community to thrive. One of the primary ways we take a stand against the schemes of the devil is in community. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the adage, you know, strength in numbers. Like, that's, that's true. Like, like, you're not meant to, to fight the enemy by yourself. Like, you're no match. You're not strong enough. You don't know enough. Like, none of us do. Like, he's a formidable opponent. But there is something about the Spirit of God being inside of me and being inside of you that together we do this and together we overcome through the blood of Jesus. It's not, a, it's not a, 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 an isolated thing. It's not something that you can handle by yourself. He's been doing this for way too long. We need community to thrive. We need community to survive. And so the devil is just as aware of our need for community as we are, if not more so. And he uses that awareness to gain the upper hand in the fight, doing all he can to cut us off from community with God's people and from God himself. You know, today we're in week four of a teaching series called The Three Enemies of the Soul. Uh, We've defined those three enemies already as the devil, the flesh, and the world. And over the last month, you know, we've been in this first section of this series um, where we have been really exploring what Jesus and the scriptures have to say about our great enemy, the devil. In the first three weeks of this series, you know, we've been, uh, uh, we've talked, you know, about um, the spiritual forces of evil that are present in our world. Uh, The spiritual forces of evil that are both present uh, or, or both seen and unseen, you know, the things that uh, that are obvious and the things uh, that are less obvious. And so in this series, you know, we've learned over and over and over again already, you know, that, that one of the greatest and most, you know, maybe understated of the schemes of the devil towards the follower of Jesus is deception. It's lies, you know, it's a twisting of the truth. It's something that might even sound good, and, and yet we find that it's highly, highly, highly destructive. And so we've already really established a clear understanding uh, in this series so far, that the devil is real, uh, right? We, we have clarity that he is a liar. And, I, and I'd also say, you know, that we have, you know, we have a sobering awareness that he's a, that he's a formidable opponent uh, uh, that we're up against, right? And yet, yet, here's what I would tell you, is that even though the scriptures describe the devil as the god of this age, and we see him wreaking havoc all over this world, like everywhere we look, we also know as followers of Jesus that a day is coming, you know? A day is coming where he will once and for all be crushed and he will be erased from this earth. And that's really good news. Amen? Amen. But until that day comes, how many all know that there's a real struggle of which we find ourselves in the, in the middle of right now? Right? In the meantime, life is hard as we find ourselves facing uh, a, a very real enemy who is hell-bent on the destruction of our lives from the inside out, you know? And so the question is, well, like, what do we do? What do we do? With all this, you know? Like, what do we do with the information we've been taught the last three weeks? What do we do with all this information about the devil? Like, what do, what do we do with this reality? What do we do with this dynamic? How does that supposed to affect our life? You know, how, how, do, we, how do we respond to this? Well, I want you to kind of look at this thought with me um, here on the, on the screen. You know, the, the life of faith is one in which there is a real struggle with a real enemy. That's what we've been talking about. And a stand must be taken. A stand must be taken. So how do we respond to this dynamic? How do we respond to this reality that we have a real enemy 
and we have a real struggle going on, that there's a spiritual dynamic to the struggles of this life, we take a stand. We take a stand. We don't just, we don't just like lay down and roll over and just say, well, that's just, that's just the way it is. Say la vie. No, 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 no. We take a stand. And so what I want to do today is really talk about what that looks like. And, you know, the Apostle Paul speaks to this idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. This is what he says. It's really interesting. He says, the reason I wrote you, talking to the church in Corinth, was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. Okay, so let's, let's do this again. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Drop down to verse 11. In order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. And so as we wrap up this first section in this series this morning on the devil uh, and uh, you know, pivot next week to the, the second enemy of our souls, I think it's really important that we don't just move on or move over what we've already been taught in, in the series so far. But instead, we sit with this information to really try to figure out uh, what to do with it, to really try to figure out you know, how we're supposed to respond to the information that we have been given, you know, to, to, to really figure out how to take a stand against the devil's schemes. You know, I, I would tell you that both, both Pastor Josh and myself, we have zero interest in this just being a collection or series of teachings on the devil that was uh, perhaps a little edgy, maybe a little... Um, you know, insightful and, you know, I, I don't know, um, interesting enough to not put you to sleep and that that's the main takeaway, you know? Like, like, we really believe that this is meant to transform us, that it's meant to affect us. It's meant to affect how we live as a result of the information that we've learned and what the Holy Spirit has taught us over the last few weeks. And so what I want us to do together this morning is not just, not just learn how to recognize the schemes of the devil, but how to take a stand against them. And so let me explain this to you, Okay. Um, as we go along this morning. Uh, I'm going to start like this. How many of you uh, grew up uh, playing with the G.I. Joe action figures? Anybody? All right. Grew up watching, maybe some of you grew up watching the, uh, the 30-minute uh, television episodes on Saturday morning of G.I. Joe. Anybody? Uh, bo- have, both? Anybody? Yeah? Jason in the back. All right. Uh, doing both. Okay, if you're familiar with, uh, with this, you know that one of the primary lessons that kids learned every week from G.I. Joe was that knowing is half the battle. You remember that? And so if you're unfamiliar, which there's a quite, quite a few of you, I think, unfamiliar uh, with this, I'm going to do my best to kind of get us all caught up to speed on this analogy. So G.I. Joe was this action figure, and to placate to parents, uh, ended each of his 1980s cartoons with this public service announcement, and now you know, and knowing is half the battle, right? So this PSA... Uh, uh, was really given within this context of, of children doing something uh, that, that was uh, unintentionally dangerous, you know, so running out into traffic or uh, getting into the car with a, with a perfect stranger, you know, the, the, the PSA was given within that context, and so each episode would end with, you know, G.I. Joe sort of encircled with a group of kids you know, all shouting, and now we know. <laughs> like, no, they shouldn't do that. And to which G.I. Joe would say, and knowing is half the battle. Um, so the assumption that was made 
was that now that these kids know something that they once didn't, they're, uh, they're never going to do uh, what they were doing. They're never going to make that same mistake again. That's the assumption, right? Well, interestingly enough, Lori Santos, who is a professor of psychology and cognitive science at Yale, she once coined the term the G.I. Joe fallacy. The G.I. Joe fallacy, which is the misguided notion that knowing something or, or that knowing about a bias is enough to overcome it, right? So what Santos was getting at is this idea that simply knowing something is not enough to change. That change is actually really hard. Like we understand this, I, I, think, I think, pretty well. Like we all have things that we know, we've been taught, things we've read, things that are just obvious that just because we know about it doesn't mean we actually do it. Like we all know that there's like healthy ways to live and unhealthy ways to live. There's nothing wrong with the knowledge, right? Uh, we know a lot of things we don't, we don't actually walk out. And so uh, it's not enough to just know. And what she's trying to get people to understand, you know, through, this, um, through the G.I. Joe fallacy was that knowing something actually is important, but it's certainly not half the battle. It's more like 10 or 20%, you know? Like, like you got to know something in order to, to change, but, like, but really, like, like, the bulk or the lion's share of that change is not so much in what you know, it's in what you, what you do. So this idea that knowing is half the battle, it's really a, a, a Western idea, a very recent Western idea. You know, just listen to a podcast, take an e-course, read a book, watch a, a YouTube video, and voila, you know, you're halfway there. Like that's, that's, a, that's a very, like, Americanized Western I- idea. Um, we can just get some information, and, uh, and, and somehow that's going to change our life. The problem is this, um, if you're following along on the screen, is that knowing something is not the same as doing something, okay? Which is still not the same as wanting to do something, okay? So, so knowing about our enemy, knowing all this information about, you know, the devil and, and, and the, the first enemy of our soul is not the same thing as actually doing something, right? Doing something with the information that we've learned. And then, and then it's, it's still not the same as wanting to. Like, you can force yourself to do some things, you know, like, like I think a lot of us probably have grown up in church where like, you know, you have that, 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 that background experience of maybe like uh, just sort of gritting your teeth and trying to, to be better and force yourself to like improve and to change and to assimilate into kind of like the, the behavior of a, of, of, a, of a good Christian. But like, like doing those things is not the same thing as actually wanting to, right? It's not the same thing as wanting to. For ideas, good or bad, to reshape our lives, they have to get into our hearts, have to get into our hearts. The heart is the deep center of our beings. It integrates our thoughts, emotions, and desires, and it goes from there into our bodies. It goes into our muscle memory, or in a more Christian language, it gets into our souls. It affects us at a very deep level. And so the first few weeks in this series have really helped us to know some things, which is good, to know some things about the devil. Primarily this, if you're taking notes, that the devil isn't a myth or a pre-modern superstition but a real intelligent force of evil who is hell-bent on the ruin of our souls and society and whose primary stratagem is that of lies via a kind of spiritual dirty war, okay? So this is good to know. Like, if you didn't know, now you know. It's good to know, (laughs) right? This is good information. Like, this is truth. This is really important to understand. It's essential. But now that we've established so far a working grasp of the devil as the first enemy of our souls— 
We need to now figure out how to actually fight this enemy. We need to figure out what to actually do with this information. So it's not enough to just, to just have a, a good definition on who he is and what it means to have an enemy like that out there who's hell-bent on the destruction of your soul. Now it's like, okay, what do I do? How do I respond? And all we've done so far in this series is we've really unveiled his strategy. That's really what we've done. We've unveiled his strategy. And so, so it's not enough to simply know his schemes and know his strategies. Like, now we got to know what our strategy is going to be. You know? Like, if he's got a strategy, we need to have a strategy. And how do we take a stand against the schemes of the devil? That's what I want to talk about here for a little while. I want to talk for a minute about what's called spiritual formation. It's a little bit of, a, of, a, of an old-fashioned term around the church. It's, it's really important. Some, maybe you've heard uh, words like discipleship, but spiritual formation, um, if you're taking notes, is the process by which we are formed in our spirits or inner persons into the image of Jesus or conversely deformed into the image of the devil. Okay? So spiritual formation, it's not just a follower of Jesus thing. It's a human thing. It's a human thing. We're all being formed every minute of every day, whether you like it or not. We're all becoming someone every day, intentional or unintentional, deliberate or haphazard. We're all in a process of becoming a person. You understand that? The question isn't, are you becoming someone, but who are you becoming? The question for us as followers of Jesus is this, how do we become more like Jesus? So, so as we're trying to figure out how to take a stand, we're trying to figure out how to respond to our enemy, the primary way we start to develop a strategy is, is how do we become more like Jesus? How, how do we look more like him? How, how did the things that he was known for start to be things that we are known for? You know, teachers of spiritual formation as well as, well as leading experts in neuroscience, psychology, and the best of social sciences all agree that our mental maps play a key role in this. Again, it's why Jesus came as a guiding light, to give us new mental maps, or, or as we learned a couple weeks ago, new ways to think that agree with reality or that agree with truth. But, you know, if you're taking notes this morning, look at this thought. Truth alone is not enough. Truth alone is not enough. Cue the G.I. Joe fallacy, right? We need something in our life. We need something more than just truth. It's not enough to just know truth. You need something else to go with it. I'm going to make the case this morning that I think we need relationship. We need, not only do we need truth, but we need relationship. Or in the words of Jesus in John chapter 4, we need spirit and truth. John chapter 4, verses 22, 23 through 24. I mean, look at the, the, these words. This is the story of Jesus when he's when he's with the woman at the well, you know, the Samaritan woman at the well, this is what he says to her. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, it's a very famous story, right? It's one of the classic stories in the gospel that you know, um, most of us probably have some familiarity with where Jesus meets this woman at the well who, you know, she's been married multiple times and Jesus basically reads her mail to her. She, he, you know, she's never met him before and, and uh, he starts to tell her all about herself without her revealing anything. She has this radical encounter with Jesus. It actually changes the trajectory of her life. She goes back into her village, you know, and, and uh, tells everybody about Jesus. 
begins to evangelize about Jesus. It's, she has a radical moment, but it's, we can kind of skip over these words right here because they're a little confusing. When you, when, you, you know, when, when you read or you hear these words of Jesus here about you know, true worshipers, worshiping in spirit and truth, it can seem a little strange. It can seem a bit puzzling. But I think they're actually, really, they're actually keys to our spiritual formation. You know, to change, to grow, to break free from our flesh and become like Jesus, I believe we need both spirit and truth. Both spirit and truth. So let's try to understand what I'm talking about. So what is spirit? Okay, question number one, what is spirit then? If we need both spirit and truth, the question is then what is spirit? Gordon Fee defines the spirit like this. The spirit is God's empowering presence. Okay, God's empowering presence. In other words, it's the animating energy we draw on through relationship with God. So spirit, it's the, so, so I think we can kind of understand, you know, the spirit of God and that there is this relational dynamic we're meant to have with God uh, by, by way of the spirit, okay? So, so there is this relational dynamic to the spirit. So, so um, that's how we connect. That's how we relate. That's how we interact with God. But there is also a reality that we have with one another as followers of Jesus, as human beings, like we have a spirit. And there is this relating or relational dynamic that, that we're meant to have with each other. And so when it comes to our spiritual formation, we're meant to, to, uh, to be formed in spirit and in truth. So what is truth? We've defined this a bunch in this series already, right? Truth is reality. Did you remember... Uh, Pastor Josh talking uh, a couple weeks ago about uh, the difference between reality and unreality. Well, there, there's a lot of people who want to say something is true, uh, and, and yet it, it's, it's really not. Like, you know, um, you could uh, tell us all you want that, that you can fly, uh, but, and, and you can believe that even. Uh, but if you go ahead and get on top of the building and jump off to try to prove it, you're, you're going to hit the ground, right? You'll have a, a, a dose of what? A dose of reality, right? Reality is truth. Right? It's truth. It's like it doesn't matter what you want to believe or what you think is true. Reality is reality. And so uh, another way to understand spiritual, spiritual formation is this idea that we become like Jesus through relationships and reality. Or we become like Jesus through spirit and truth. Okay? Spirit and truth. Let's take it a step further. If you're taking notes, spirit without truth has no meaning, okay? Spirit or relationships without truth has no meaning. So imagine having some friends in your life who never speak truth to you. Let's say, you know, you're doing some things in your, in, in, in your life that are, you know, somewhat destructive or they're just not beneficial, things that, that, that aren't good for you. Imagine having, uh, having no relationship around you that ever speaks truth to you. So this is this idea that like spirit or, or you know, um, uh, a, a relational presence or a loving presence in your life um, that, that, that has no truth or speaks no truth, it means nothing. It's not beneficial at all. It's just like, hey, do whatever you want. Well, that's not, that's not love, is it? That's not love. So flip it around and look at it this way. Truth without spirit is cruel. Truth without spirit is cruel or it's cold. Think of the internet. The internet is full of truth. But without a human to help navigate you through it, it's just a collection of endless facts. Nobody's life 
has ever been transformed by Wikipedia, right? Nobody who ever doubted God in, in, in a time of tragedy ever, you know, found, you know, a, a, a set of Britannica encyclopedias in their basement that saved their soul, you know, like all kinds of truth, all kinds of knowledge, all kinds of information, or think of the uncomfortable image of a street preacher screaming truth into a bullhorn. You know? Have you ever met anybody who repented and gave their life to Jesus from that kind of preaching? Man, I sure haven't. You know, I've, I've told you the story maybe before, but I remember in 2000 and 2003, the fall of 2003, uh, I, I was in uh, Los Angeles uh, on a mission trip, inner city mission trip, and, uh, and I remember... Um, uh, we were out there with the Los Angeles Dream Center and, and doing all kinds of, of unbelievable ministry that just would shock, uh, you know, the majority of us. You know, we were out at Skid Row working with the homeless, which is like a, a huge city block of just uh, cardboard boxes and people living there uh, and, and uh, uh, drugs and, I mean, all kinds of stuff you can imagine. Um, and one particular night, we went out to, to do some, uh, some street ministry uh, in... Uh, the, the homosexual district, uh, it was uh, called Boys Town, and we went over there in, uh, in, in West Hollywood, and uh, I, remember, I remember walking in, you know, down this street and uh, you know, getting ready to talk to people about Jesus and things like that and seeing this, this street preacher on the corner. He had that, the sandwich, sandwich board signs, and he's just screaming like, like everybody's going to hell, and you know, like the anger, the vitriol, the, you know, there's nobody paying attention to him at all. And, uh, and, and, and I'll never forget that image because like, like it felt like such a contrast of what like I was there to do <laughs> and what I was trying to be. I was trying to understand people. I was trying to, 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 to give hope, to give love, to help people see that there's a God who sees them and cares about them. And no matter you know, what their experience has ever been like with church or ever been like with, with, with God, that maybe they've, they've not experienced God the right way. And I'm trying to do all that. And I have this guy over here who is the exact representation of everything that's wrong with what they have experienced about God and with, about, about church. And so, you know, we react to, uh, to street preachers like that with, with like such emotional nausea, at least I do, you know, as somebody who, who cares so much about people experiencing Jesus the right way. We react this way because what we see out of them is truth without spirit, right? It's, it's reality, kind of, without any kind of relational equity or loving presence, right? So they have, they have no relational equity whatsoever. There's no love in their tone whatsoever. So it's truth in a way without any kind of spirit, without any kind of relationship. And so I, I just want you to know this morning that like when it comes to our spiritual formation and being formed into the image of God, like this is what we need. We need both spirit and truth. We need both spirit and truth. We need both the relational presence of Jesus and his community and the reality-giving truth of Jesus' mental maps, like this new way to think. And this is why Jesus comes to us as a human teacher. As a human, he's able to offer spirit or relational presence to be with us in the pain of the human condition. But as a rabbi, he's able to offer truth. As a rabbi, he's able to point us to reality and give us meaning in our suffering. So Jesus comes to us as both spirit and truth. And here's what I want you to get from this this morning if you're taking notes. It is by spirit and truth that we're transformed into the image of Jesus. That's important. 
But the opposite is also true. It's by isolation and lies that we're deformed into the image of the devil. Let's circle back to the garden story in Genesis 3 that we talked about last week. How did the snake bring about the fall of Eve? How did it work? There's two, there's two things he did. First, he got Eve alone. He isolated her, right? He, he got her away from God, and he got her away from her primary relationship, which was, which was her husband, Adam. That way, there was no other voice <laughs> uh, in her head but that of the devil's, and no counterpoint of truth to mitigate the deceit. So, so he isolates her. He gets her away. He gets her by herself. She's not in community. She's not in relationship. There, there's, there's no like, spirit, meaning there's no loving presence. You know, there's no relational dynamic. She's isolated. She's pulled away from her, her relationship with her husband and her relationship with God. And then, secondly, the devil begins to lie. He begins to plant seeds of doubt in her mind about God's wisdom and, and his good intentions Lies that prayed to her disorder, disordered ideas for uh, self-gratification, pleasure, and autonomy. And so alone and exposed, like you know the story, right? Alone and exposed, Eve was easy prey, right? And now to be clear, I just want to be clear, you know, and I think you get this, but this is not a commentary on gender dynamics, right? This story, Genesis 3. The reason Eve fell wasn't because she was female, like we understand all that, right? It's because she was alone and she was away from community. And when humans are isolated, we are much easier to fool. We are much easier to trick. It's just, it's just the way it goes. And while it's easy to laugh this story off by saying, you know, I would never fall for the old talking snake routine, <laughs> uh, that's the devil's tactic today. And it still works. It's still what he uses, and it's still how it, wor- uh, how it works today. He wants to isolate us and then, and then give us a lie. He wants to isolate you and then give you a lie. And many of us are falling for it every single day. And here's how it happens. Here's how it happens. The devil picks a lie that plays to a disordered idea or a disordered desire. He picks a lie. And, it's, and, it, and it, it affects you because there's actually a desire in you that it touches. And it gets you to take a relational step away from God. It's just what it does. And maybe not completely away, but it gets you to take a relational step away where there's, there's now further distance between you and God than there was. So even one step away is a further distance, right? So it's a lie that plays with a disordered desire that gets you to take a step away from God. And then, he, then what, what happens is the devil begins to re, redefine for you what good and evil is. And it's done. It's hook, line, and sinker. And so what he did in the garden in Genesis 3 is what he still does today. Like he, 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 he's not like creative, meaning like he's not coming up with new ways. Like, like he's not going to do new things if what has always worked continues to work. And so look at this. Every time we walk into sin or even walk away from God, it always starts with drifting away from community with other solid followers of Jesus every single time. Every single time. It starts with us walking away from relationship with other followers of Jesus and walking away from relationship with God. Every time. I mean, think about the worst things you've ever done, right? I don't want to do this too much in church. Obviously, uh, we want to leave shame at the door. But just, just for a moment, like, think about, you know, the, maybe some of the worst things you've ever done. It probably didn't happen when you were having coffee with your pastor, you know? I sure hope not. It's time to find a new church, you know, if that's the case. 
probably didn't happen like on Christmas morning when you were hanging out with your family, you know? Every time we walk into sin or walk away from God, it always starts with drifting away from community with other solid followers of Jesus. And so, in other words, we need community to thrive. We need community to thrive. One of the primary ways we take a stand against the schemes of the devil is in community. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the adage, you know, strength in numbers. Like, that's, that's true. Like, like, you're not meant to, to fight the enemy by yourself. Like, you're no match. You're not strong enough. You don't know enough. Like, none of us do. Like, he's a formidable opponent. But there is something about the Spirit of God being inside of me and being inside of you that together we do this and together we overcome through the blood of Jesus. It's not, a, it's not a, 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 an isolated thing. It's not something that you can handle by yourself. He's been doing this for way too long. We need community to thrive. We need community to survive. And so the devil is just as aware of our need for community as we are, if not more so. And he uses that awareness to gain the upper hand in the fight, doing all he can to cut us off from community with God's people and from God himself. And so there are some practices that we see in the life of Jesus. There are some practices that we see in Jesus' life that are meant to do for us what they did for him. Spiritual practices that are designed to help us withstand the lies of the devil. And I want to get into those here for a moment and give you some practical examples of how to actually stand. Primarily, it's in community, okay? But as followers of Jesus, we look at Jesus' life, don't we, as a template, we look at Jesus' life as a template for how to fight the devil. We look at his practices. And, and so in, you know, in Luke 4, there's a classic story here where we see you know, Jesus' temptation by the devil. Like, like if you remember the story in Luke 4, you know that, that, that this is the same chapter where Jesus uh, you know, is, is baptized. You know, he has you know, lived 30 plus years on this earth and he comes out to the Jordan River where John the Baptist baptizes him. The Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove. The, the, the voice of God speaks out in an audible voice and says, this is my son whom I love. Right? Jesus is baptized there. He's filled with the power of the Spirit. And from there, what does Jesus do? He goes immediately out into the wilderness or into the desert. And for 40 days, he prays and he fasts. For 40 days. He has, he has solitude with God. And it is in that place of solitude, in that place of prayer, that place of prayer and fasting that the devil appears to him and begins to tempt him. The temptation of Jesus in Luke 4 is, is really, really interesting. It says that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, right, you'd be hungry after 40 days? Not eating? Would you, you ever, you ever gone a couple days without food? You ever gone, I mean, just honestly, you ever gone a little, how, how, I mean, how weak do you feel? I mean, how much, how much do you notice your flesh just like raging and wanting to be satisfied by food? I mean, some of you like, it's just like 12 hours and you can't handle it, you know? So like, on, like you ever, I mean, it, it, there's, there's a, a dynamic going on here with Jesus and he's, he's, he's you know, he's weak. He's not as strong, you know, this is, this is where he's kind of primed for the picking right here. And, and he is, um, he, you know, he's, he's weak. 
hasn't eaten anything for a while. At the end of, the, of, of these, these 40 days, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if, you're the, if you are the Son of God, okay? If you are the Son of God. Okay, the story right before this, what did God tell him at his baptism? This is my Son whom I love, okay? So he already heard from God just, just a few verses prior in his, at his baptism that, that this, is, this is God's son whom he loves. And the very first thing the enemy comes at him with in the desert when he is weak is if you really are the son of God. If you really are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you, if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Well, Jesus never disputes this claim that the devil makes, right? Like, like, so this is why we understand scripture talks about the devil as the God of this age, right? They did. He, he's like the prince of the air. Like he, he has a certain level of agency in the world, uh, for sure then, and then even after the cross, there's a certain level of agency he has until, until Jesus returns and deals the death blow once and for all to, to the devil and his, you know, his demonic force. And so, so here, like what we understand happened in Genesis 3, there was a certain level of authority that was delegated uh, to Adam, right? There, there, he, he, was, he was to have dominion over the earth and to subdue it. But but through the sin and through the fall, that authority, that dominion was handed over to Satan, to the devil. And so in this encounter in Luke 4 in the desert, like, like, like the devil makes it clear to Jesus that, that he has the authority. Like he could give him all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus never disputes that claim. Jesus understands the power and the authority that the devil has in this story and knows that in an instant he could have it. And so what's interesting about this is that Jesus came on a very particular mission. He came to destroy the works of the devil, but he came to also set the captive free. He came to overcome, you know, uh, 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 sin and death and darkness. He came to set us all free. And in a moment, in an instant, if he would have just bowed down and worshiped the devil, the devil could have offered him an easier path. How many all know that the right thing the wrong way isn't good? And that's exactly what's happening here in this story. Like the devil offers him the right thing the wrong way. And Jesus resists, and he says, no, 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 like, like the, the scriptures tell us, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, okay? This is the, this is the temple like in Jerusalem. This is before it was destroyed. So he takes him to the highest point of the temple. He says, if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard, him, to guard you carefully. So, so the devil knows scripture, and, he, and he, he leverages Psalm 91 right here to, to, to quote scripture at Jesus. I want you to know something, that if he's going to tempt Jesus this way and try to, to, try to twist scripture with Jesus, he's going to do it with you as well. Verse 11 says, they will, the devil says, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it says, or scripture says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In verse 13, maybe the most powerful scripture in understanding the schemes of the devil in all of the Bible, says when the devil had finished all his, this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The devil wasn't done with Jesus. 
The devil realized, hey, this isn't, this isn't where we're going to get him. So, so the devil left to go look for a more opportune time when he would be maybe more weak or more vulnerable. There'd be more of a, of a crack open where he could exploit that and get him to move away uh, from his, his commitment to his father. Do you notice here in this story how the devil starts in on Jesus in the same way he did on Eve? He starts by planting doubts in Jesus' mind about his identity as the Son of God. You know? If you're the Son of God. Earlier in the same chapter, at the beginning, like, 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 like I already mentioned, you know, like, like God has, has, has really affirmed and made known who Jesus is. You are my Son whom I love. And now the enemy is trying to bring doubt to this. Three times in this story, the devil tempts Jesus. This is really important. And each time, Jesus calmly responds with a quote from Scripture. He doesn't budge an inch. He's calm. He's collected. He's confident. He knows the truth. He knows the truth. And he can spot the lie or the deception in an instant because he knows the truth. He's filled with the truth. Look at this thought. When the devil comes to Jesus in the desert, he finds Jesus praying and fasting and with a mind and mouth that are filled with Scripture. This is how we as apprentices of Jesus fight the devil too. That's the same way. This is what we do. So you know, maybe you were hoping for some like more, more uh, I don't know, more appealing weapons. Maybe you wanted like, like more action you know, like, like, like prayer and fasting and filling our minds with the truth of the word of God is how we, we take a stand. It's how we fight the enemy. And, uh, and, and this is why, like, I, 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 I literally can't understand why so many Christians, like, like don't, don't develop much, much of a prayer life. Don't actually, like, like, spend time in prayer with the Lord. Don't understand, you know, when we do 21 days of prayer and fasting, like, decide, yeah, that's not for me. Or, or, or build that practice into their life throughout the year. Just say, yeah, I don't know, Pastor Jordan. Like, you know, that's, that's, that's something that you can do, but that's not what I'm going to do. Listen, like, this is how we fight. This is how we fight the enemy. We build these practices into us. It is appropriate for you to have stretches throughout the year where you go without, without food so that, so that they're, they're, you know, one, you can connect with God on a different level and so that you can spiritually, you know, uh, strengthen and fight the devil in a new way. And then we fill our mind and our mouth with the truth of Scripture. And, and we respond to the devil uh, with what we have memorized and what we have planted and hidden in our heart. There are two anchor practices, two anchor practices for our fight with the devil that Jesus, Jesus puts on display in the desert. Number one is quiet prayer. Quiet prayer. So Jesus is alone in the desert. He's alone in the quiet. He's with God and he's in prayer. And why does this matter? Like, why is this significant for Jesus? And why is it significant for us? Because in a place of quiet prayer, there are no other inputs into Jesus' mind. When you are alone with God and you are in a, in a time of quiet prayer, not where you're doing all the talking and just like going through your list of requests and all of that. No, no, no. Where you are silent and quiet before the Lord. There, 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 it's a practice. Like right here is, a, is, a, is, a, is an ancient spiritual practice called sil uh, um, silence and solitude. Where, where Christians for 2,000 years have understood the importance of being silent before the Lord. 
like quieting ourselves so that there are no other inputs into our minds. No reading the morning news. No popping online for a scroll through social media. No notifications on the phone. It's, a, it's silence before the Lord. It is in the place of quiet prayer that the external input and the internal input are removed so that we can learn uh, to know the voice of God from the voice of our enemy. Listen, like it's, it's in that place where we discover like, like truth, where we discover God's voice, where we learn to like tune into that frequency. Because I'm telling you, like if you, if you don't build that into you, there's going to be a lot of times where the enemy will come at you with Scripture. He'll twist some things a certain way. He'll get you to think that what he's saying sounds good. And, and, and just like Eve, you know, or, or, or Adam, or whoever it is, like it's just going to easily start to take you into a, a direction you, d- you don't want to go. Like, like the way that Jesus resists the devil, the way he takes a stand against him is through quiet prayer. Man, I've talked to so many people who have never, ever practiced this in their life. The, the bulk, of, bulk of Christians have, have, have next to zero when it comes to a, a, a prayer life. Like they're, just, they're uncomfortable with it. Like, like, you know, and, and so if they do pray, it has, has more to do with like, God, I need this, help me with my test. You know, uh, help me to sleep well tonight. Give me good dreams. You know, it's like, it's the, it's the, the deal. We need money. Like, could, would, you, would you just bless me in, in, in this and this and this? And that's the bulk of how people pray. But there's like other types of prayer, right? There's, there's prayers of intimacy. There's prayers of surrender. You know, prayers of intimacy, like David, like David in Psalm 27, you know, uh, one thing I ask, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You know, like that's what he says, you know, he wants. It's a prayer of intimacy. I wanna, I wanna connect with God. It's not, it's not about like opening our mouth and getting all of our requests out. There's, there's, there's a room, there, there, there's an appropriate place to have silent prayer, to sit with God, to connect with God in, in his presence, that the, 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 the loving presence of God, spirit, to connect with spirit so that, so that we can really understand what is truth and what is not. I can tell you, I can tell you that had Jesus not done this, right, that had he not connected with the Father in silence and solitude, to really uh, connect with the loving presence and relational presence of God, hearing Scripture talk to him, it would have been very difficult to, to filter through what was really true and what wasn't. We, you know, we, we, we become formed into the image of Jesus through spirit and truth, through quiet prayer. It's in quiet prayer that the devil's lies are exposed and they're brought out into the open, right? And then the second, the second anchor practice is scripture. It's scripture. Look, and I, I fully get it. Like, you know, any, any pastor who ever has to get up and talk about spiritual practices, like, they're like, oh man, I drew the, I drew the short, short straw this week, you know? Like, very, very rarely, it never has anybody come to me and be like, hey, pastor, man, you talked about, you talked about like, like prayer and fasting, and you talked about, you know, like, like, like memorizing scripture, and like, man, that was the best sermon ever. No, like that never happens, right? We don't get excited about disciplines. We don't get excited about having to say no to something so that we can build practices into our life. But scripture is essential if you want to take a stand against the schemes of the devil. Why? Because scripture is reality. Scripture is truth. One of the primary ways we stand firm against the devil is by filling our minds with truth. With truth, three times the devil tempts Jesus with a lie. Three times Jesus quotes scriptures in reply. Three times. 
Every single time there's a temptation, Jesus has the answer. He has a rebuttal, but it's not just a, a thought that comes from within. It's scripture that he's, he's put into his mind. He's hidden into his heart, right? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The scriptures teach us. John Mark Homer says this about scripture, uh, if you're taking notes. He says, for millennia, Followers of Jesus have immersed their minds in Scripture, not just to gather data, memorize factoids, and get the right answers on a theology test. Doctrine does matter very much, but not to pass the test and get into heaven. It matters because we become like our vision of God. The goal of reading Scripture is not information, but spiritual formation to take on the mind of Christ. To actually think like Jesus thinks. To fill your mind with the thoughts of God so regularly and deeply that it literally rewires your brain. And from there, your whole person. This is the power of Scripture. This is the power of Hebrews 4 that says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It's not just an ancient text. It is, it is a living, breathing word from God to us. And it transforms us and it changes us. And there is, you are no match for your enemy. You are no match uh, up against him on your own, outside of community and apart from the truth of the scripture. The way you take a stand is by knowing what the Bible actually says. What it actually says. The key is not to just think about scripture. Okay? So it's not just about having some scriptures posted like on your, on your refrigerator or, or some, some nice wall art, which is, which is cool. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not just that. It's not just, it's not just like thinking, to think about scripture. It's to think scripture. Okay? It's to think scripture. Again, to take on the mind of Christ, to actually think like Jesus thinks, to fill your mind with the thoughts of God so regularly that it literally rewires your brain. And from there, it rewires your whole person, all of who you are. All of who you are. I want you to look at this thought with me here as we get ready to close. What we give our attention to will shape the persons we become what we think about, we become. What we give our attention to will shape the persons we become. What we think about, we become. And this is why the ancient practice of meditating on Scripture and getting it into us is one of the primary ways we resist the devil and take our stand against him. The Apostle Peter writes these words to us in 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. He says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil. Okay? If you, uh, at any point in the series, had yet to believe that the, in, that the devil was your enemy, um, take, take Peter's word for it. Okay? Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Verse 9, resist him. 
standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the, the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings, right? We're a part of something bigger than us just here in this church or here in this city. We're a part of a global body of believers who are serving Jesus, all going through challenges, all going through struggles, all trying to resist the devil and his schemes. You're a part of something bigger than you, and that should, that should, that should encourage you that you're not in this fight by yourself. And we resist the devil. We stand firm in the faith together. And then Paul tells the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 6 these very, very, very famous words. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can what? You can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, therefore, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. So how do we stand against... Or how do we win against the devil? How do we beat the devil? How do we, how do we overcome temptation? How do, we, how do we resist him? How do, we, how do we do this? I mean, you know how we do this? You know what scripture tells us? We stand up. We stand. That's what we do. We stand. We resist the devil. We resist the temptation. After you have done everything to stand, stand firm then. Keep on standing. Keep on standing. Keep on resisting. Hebrews tells us that you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood like Jesus, right? Like in, in, in your struggle against sin, right, is, is what Scripture tells us. In your struggle against sin, you have yet to resist to the point of shedding your blood. Like, like he's saying, like, after you've done everything to stand, keep on standing. After you've done everything and you just can't go on any further, you feel like, man, your flesh is about to just give in, you're just about to, to lay down, like, no, 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 no. Like, keep on standing, Keep on standing. If you're at a point in your life where you just feel like you're, you're, uh, man, you're getting close to just, to just losing the fight, you got to ask yourself some major questions. Like, am I surrounded by community? Am I surrounded by those in my life who can be a loving presence and point me to Jesus? Am I, am I connected to the Spirit? Am I connected to God in spirit right now? Have I taken a relational step away from Him? And then, and then, what am I doing in terms of, of my prayer? life? Am I, am I connected to him in prayer? And am I getting the scripture into me in a way that I know, what, I know the difference between truth and lies? The difference between truth and lies. Would you stand with me here this morning? When confronted with false teachings, Jesus would simply call out the lies, wouldn't he? He would almost always appeal to scripture. Or said another way, he would stand up. He would call it out. He'd stand up. Jesus never lost. Would you bow your heads for a moment here? Hmm. Hmm. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place. We invite you to do the work in us that you desire to do. Change us, mold us, shape us, transform us into the people we need to be who can take a stand against the schemes of the devil. We want to spot those schemes 
and then we want to resist them. And so do in us, form in us the things that need to be formed. If you're here today and you would just admit, Pastor Jordan, I'm in a time where like the schemes of the devil are getting the better of me. Like I just feel like I'm, like I'm vulnerable. I feel like I'm, like I'm prone right now to giving in. I feel like I'm prone to, you know, uh, you know, kind of being picked off. And, and, and man, you just need strength in your spirit, man. You just need help to resist, to, uh, to resist the devil so that he will flee. Can I just see your hand? Like you're in a battle, you're in a fight. There's some things going on, like there's lies being spun in your direction. Thank you for your... Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for raising your hand this morning, if that's you. If you're here this morning, you'd say, Pastor Jordan, like I, I, I am like missing some of these practices in my life. Like part of why I am so prone for the, the picking is because I am actively out of community with other Christians. I've taken a relational step away from God. Could I just see your hand in here today? That's you. You just need to take a step back into relationship with God or a step back into relationship with fellow believers. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, you'd come and you'd move in power here right now. We recognize in this place that we have a real enemy, we have a real struggle, we have a real battle, but we thank you that uh, he's no match for you, that you empower us from within through your spirit to be strong, to stand, to overcome. I thank you that we don't have to give in and that we don't have to sin. I thank you that, that there is a way out that there is a way through this struggle and it's through you and it's through your spirit, it's through your power. And so I pray for those in this place, God, who feel like they are, they are primed for the picking, that they are prone to giving in to the schemes of the devil right now. They're in a season where the devil seems to be advancing and taking on, up ground in their life. And Lord, I ask right now that there would be a line drawn in the sand. There would be a, a no more moment for them right now a pushing back of the kingdom of darkness, an ushering in of the kingdom of light right now. I pray a strengthening in, the, in, in, the, in their inner man, in their inner woman right now, a strengthening in their spirit in Jesus' name, a new resolve to stand firm, to not be shaken, to not be moved, to not be pushed off the, uh, you know, their, their, uh, where they're at. And God, I ask for those in this room who have just acknowledged maybe being in a season, being in a time of, 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 of having taken a relational step back from you, that, Father, you would draw them to yourself once again through your loving presence, through your loving relationship. God, would you form us into your image through spirit and truth here today? For those of us, God, who are actively just maybe not embracing community with other like-minded followers of Jesus the way we need to, Lord, may you just spur something in us today that's not brought on by shame or by guilt, but it's brought on by this like curiosity of like what our relationship with you could look like, what Christianity could feel like in community with other like-minded believers. I thank you, God, that that's primarily how you shape us into your image is through others, and that's primarily how we, we resist and we stand firm against the devil is through community with other Christians. And so, Lord, would you build that into us and would you build that into the culture of this church in Jesus' name? Build the spiritual practices of quiet prayer and silence and solitude and 
I pray for a hunger for your word, oh God, that your scripture would come alive to us in fresh and new ways, and it would equip us in this fight against the first enemy of our soul. And we give you thanks today in Jesus' name. Amen, and amen, and amen.